0: now we are going to look at the failures of mankind under human government. So this will be how man failed to to be stewards under the covenant of Noah in chapter 8 and 9. So we're going to look at uh, the end of chapter 9, chapter 10, and 11 to see how did man exactly fail so that God needed to bring in yet another covenant. So here in uh, Genesis we got a question. Okay. Here in Genesis 9, 18 to 22, we have the account of Noah becoming drunk after the flood and uncovering himself in his tent, and Ham walks in and sees his nakedness. So it says, Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Uh, We'll look at what this means in just a second, but... uh, After this event, Noah wakes up, understands what Ham has done, and he curses Ham's son, Canaan. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, "Cursed be Cain, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brothers." Uh, so there's the, the language is pretty restrictive here, so we can't be dogmatic exactly what happened between Noah and um, Noah and Ham. Uh, some say that it was uh, sexual activity that happened between the two of them. Others think that it's a euphemism for Ham sleeping with his mother and producing Cain. Um, neither of those have very good foundation in the actual language here. Uh, I could get you inf- more information on that if you hold to one of those beliefs and uh, you want to see why I do not. What I think happened here was primarily uh, Ham, uh, what would be the word for that? Teasing, to put it simply, Uh, Ham did not have respect for his father Noah, who at this point is the uh, steward of God's covenant, of God's revelation. So that Ham debases Noah in a way that is not right to do to a leader that God has put in that position, one that God has put special favor on. Uh, Noah, however, Personally, failed in his ability to responsibly handle God's covenant. He is at this point the leader of the world, and uh, he he gets drunk and uh, acts lasciviously uh, in not protecting his own uh, his own nakedness as well. But his older sons do protect their father in his weakened state. Uh, Let's see, do we have a quote here? Yes. Alan Ross uh, says about this incident, To the ancients, even seeing one's father naked was a breach of family ethic. The sanctity of the family was destroyed, and the strength of the father was made a mockery. Ham apparently stumbled on this accidentally, but went and exultingly told his two brothers as if he had triumphed over his father. So what seems to be a trivial incident turned out to be a major event. Noah's oracle showed that the natures of his three sons would perpetuate in their descendants. So Noah's curse did not curse uh, Ham or curse Canaan with uh, this sort of activity, but recognized that this activity would... uh, would follow this line, this line of Ham, especially through this, the line of Canaan. Now, that's going to be important because in the Abrahamic covenant, God is going to grant to Abraham the land of Canaan. Um, so we, we get uh, kind of a, a preamble to the Noahic covenant here, where we see uh, Canaan is not going to be acting properly in the land that God will give them. And he's going to strip it from them and give it to another. Now this, uh, it's uh, very recognizable in the pattern of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that sins which plague a father continue through that line. Um, Adam's sin was particularly disobedience. He chose to listen to his wife rather than to listen to God. Uh, he chose to listen to his wife who listened to the serpent. So not putting in high regard the voice of God. This is really the the core of sinfulness, the the core cause of sin in man's heart is when they refuse to enthrone God over their hearts and they instead enthrone themselves. So this becomes the character of Cain when we see him ignoring God's plea to heed heed his warning that sin is at the door and it seeks its way with him. Uh, Cain ignores this and this uh, leads to murder. And we see that murder then characterizes the hearts of men up until the flood. So sin undealt with early on gets exacerbated into global, um, global disobedience. And it's, it's uh, I think, more than coincidental that murder is the inciting sin after uh, the Edemic Covenant. And capital punishment is instituted on murderers uh, in the Noahic covenant, that God recognizes that as the root of man's sinfulness during that period between the fall and the flood, and he puts in place a means of dealing with that. Uh, So now at this point, we have Noah and Ham who introduce sin of a sexual nature. Uh, We did see the possibility that sin of a sexual nature existed prior to the flood but it, was, it had its roots uh, elsewhere, not in mankind specifically. So here we see it originating from mankind. And uh, June is, I guess, an appropriate time to deal with this subject. It was sexual sin of a uh, homosexual nature, uh, not that it was, um, there was any contact between Noah and Ham, But it was a lack of respect uh, between the sanctity of marriage between Noah and his wife and also the the holiness of uh, the body that God has given to mankind. So we see a debasing of the body of the man, uh, both in Ham's actions, but also in Noah's actions in becoming drunk, drunk to the state that he was unable to recognize what was going on around him. And a lot of this stems from pride. Uh, Of course, uh, that leads to quite a few of our sins. So we see sexual sin, murder, and drunkenness, all characterizing the descendants of Ham, especially through the line of Canaan. Uh, So we're going to come back to that when we see the the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 5, he's going to bring back this line of Canaan. All right, so in Genesis 10, Genesis 10 is just a big list of names, basically, but uh, in two different places, the, uh, the writer Moses breaks out of that table of nations where he's listing names in order, in order to give us some more information. The other place he does this is with the children of Eber, uh, Peleg, where it says uh, the earth was divided in those days with Peleg. This is the only other place where we see Nimrod that he breaks out of just giving us a genealogical table. So he says the sons of Ham were Cush and Mitzrayim and Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Sheba and Havilah and Sabta and Ramah and Sabteca. And the sons of Ramah were Sheba and Dedan. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now this mighty hunter before the Lord, this is not um, a benevolent before the Lord, but rather a um, one that was antagonizing to the authority of God. So this this would not be aligned with the language like David dancing before the Lord, where he does it for the Lord's um, glory or for worshiping the Lord, but rather he is uh, a mighty hunter before the Lord uh, in a way of usurping the Lord, where he is not acting on the Lord's behalf, but... uh, in a, in a position contrary to the Lord. Some have even said that what he is hunting is not animals, but he is hunting the souls of men. Uh, and I think that comes from Jewish tradition that uh, Nimrod was a hunter of souls, not a hunter of flesh. Uh, so we see here uh, the beginning of uh, Nimrod's influence. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Calneh, and the land of Shinar. From that land he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth Er and Kalah and Resin between Nineveh and Calah. This is the great city. So what we see here, I'm, I know many of us put together in our minds the name Nimrod with Babel and just Babel. Sometimes adding in the plains of Shinar. But what he has here is a system of cities, where he is the head over that system of cities. We see that he is not simply amassing to himself a single city with a tower growing out of it, but he is amassing to his own authority a network of cities that is expanding in the Middle East. But it's not expanding for God, it is expanding for man. Um, As we'll see here in Genesis 11, when we get to the actual account of Babel. So it says here that now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used bricks for stone and they used tar for mortar. They said... Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, We'll we'll talk about making a name for oneself when we get into the Abrahamic covenant a bit more, because um, one of the promises that God gives to Abraham is that he would make his name great among the nations. So this, um, but this uh, city in the plains of Shinar is seeking to make a name for themselves rather than to uh, seek God, they are trying to make for themselves what they desire themselves to be. Also uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was alive around the time of Christ uh, notes that in Jewish tradition these this tar that is used for building, the uh, the Tower of Babel was specifically a waterproof tar that they were not just building this high, but they were building this tower waterproof. They did not trust God uh, when He promised not to flood the earth again, but they did believe that if He were to do that, they could survive it by building the tower high. Uh, so that is one possibility for why they were building the tower up high. Of course, they were. Trying to reach heaven, uh, just as Lucifer is said to have done in Ezekiel, where he wants to put his uh, throne above the throne of heaven. He told man in the garden, of course, that uh, they could be like God, knowing good and evil. So this uh, this hubris continues to follow mankind through the seed of the serpent, as uh, Satan calls his people. And God calls his, uh, but this is not the way that the Lord intended uh, mankind to rule themselves after the flood. So he steps in and, uh, and disallows them from doing this by uh, creating yet again. He says, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now, nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So, this was yet another way that God uh, aided man by uh, impeding man. Uh, because they were basically on a collision course for the end times program where there will be one world government that God deals with uh, in the great tribulation and it's not God's timing for that yet. so he he uh, he puts a language barrier between these people and I mean, put yourself in this situation one day you're you're talking with your neighbour, you're making plans of how to build up this city even greater, and the next day you can't understand a word he says to you. I worked in Korea for two and a half years and I can tell you that even broken English can be hard to understand, let alone when they give you commands just in Korean. Um, it can be gibberish and it's impossible to, to uh, rightly ascertain what your neighbour wants of you. Um, so naturally it would cause divisions language is probably even more divisive than race in this culture uh, where language groups the inability to understand one another uh, does impede our ability to live together that's why there's always such a push for people moving to other countries to learn that language uh, despite how difficult that can be Uh, but on a practical note uh, probably the conditions of the post-flood world, where it's still shaking under the convulsions that that had Mm -hmm. geologically, uh, plus this division of the language where they're no longer able to work together, meant that mankind would naturally spread away. And uh, one interesting, I guess, bit of trivia is how do you communicate with someone who you can't talk with anymore? You draw pictures. And that's why in the area surrounding the Middle East, all the way as far as France, Northern Africa, parts of uh, the Puraltic Mountains, you find cave drawings all over the place because they're encountering people who they can't communicate with in any other way than drawing a picture of something that they both recognize. So uh, yet another way where the Bible makes a lot more sense than than, uh, anthropologists these secular anthropologists. But what God's done here is he's stepped in to protect mankind from the sin that they're committing. And that sin is not spreading out around the world. God told them to go and populate the earth. And they're also, rather than seeking the authority of God, they're seeking the authority of a man, trying to put that authority in man as if he were a god. So... In uh, in the last two verses that deal with Babel specifically, Moses says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, Babel is going to morph into the city of Babylon, and it will reemerge during the time of Israel especially in the captivities of Israel. The second nation to capture Israel will be Babel, and they'll take Judah and uh, Judah and Benjamin, the lower two tribes, into captivity. That's where we'll get the book of Daniel, which also deals a lot with prophecy. Uh, Revelation is the New Testament book of Daniel, some have said. Uh, So Babylon will continue to be a major theme throughout scripture. Uh, So we'll discuss that more probably in our revelation. For now, we can uh, set Babel aside and look at what God did after Babel, because how did he deal with um, man's failing in their covenants prior to Babel? He destroyed the earth, either through a curse or through a flood. But now he's promised not to do that with a flood. And he is holding off judgment of the entire world until the end of this world, which will be the tribulation. So he's going to deal with the world in a much different way. He is essentially going to let them follow the sins of their own hearts while he deals with a peculiar people uh, that he uh, deals with in a much smaller control group. And the purpose for dealing with them in a much smaller control group is so that he's able to uh, protect the record of his revelation to mankind, and also so that he can protect the line of Christ, uh, the line through which the uh, Savior will be born, that the entire world might be saved. So it's interesting that the beginning of this uh, effort to Curate the line of Christ begins with the confusion of languages, and it ends with Pentecost, where the language barrier is broken spiritually. Uh, And that is... uh, Anyways, as a linguist, that always interests me. (laughs) But uh, let's move forward here and see who God pulls out to deal with particularly. So in the end of chapter 11... Moses writes that Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father and Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now, most of those names are not going to be too important for us to remember, but uh, what I'd like to point out is that Abram was likely not the oldest son of Terah. He had brothers which died before him that had sons, or a son, Lot, who was probably about the same age as Abram. So Abram wasn't even particularly favored in his own family. Um, He wouldn't have been anticipating particular blessing from his father. Abram was probably a bit of a nobody, Um, but he came from the line of Shem, the line that God had protected, and um, already begun curating for the Redeemer who would come. Also, uh, Abram's family was not a family that followed God, uh, the God of the Bible. Uh, in the book of Joshua, we see Joshua says, uh, to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So these, were, this was not a family that was following God. That is not the reason God pulled them out to deal with them particularly. Uh, it wasn't because of their faithfulness, in other words. Uh, but Moses here continues in Genesis 11 and says that Sarai was barren. She had no child. This is Abraham's wife. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we see that they have now left the location of Ur, where they've been living, and they have moved away from the land where they were serving other gods and Genesis 12 is going to give us a bit more information about why they did that. You see these are God's cosmic actions which prov- are providentially structured in the fallen world to impede the spread of evil. So one being the division of the population of earth into peoples of different language speakers. Uh, this impedes the spread of sin or sp- sin of a particular uh, inflection. For example, uh, I could give one that's that was pretty prevalent uh, when I was living in Korea. Uh, the conservative culture that their grandparents and parents grew up in is uh, quickly dying in the the uh, modern or youth culture. Most of that, I believe, is um, due to the influence of American culture on Korea in the last 25-30 years. Uh, so when language barriers are broken when cultures interact. The sins of other cultures are transferred between them. So that something like homosexuality, which has been uh, festering in America for quite a long time, but not in Korea, is now skyrocketing in Korea because they had other cultural issues that left children vulnerable to that um, so that Satan has a wide foothold that when he introduces that sort of perversion to a culture, uh, it's like introducing an invasive species. There's there's nothing to fight against it. So uh, this is one reason why God has put these barriers of language and these barriers of culture and national divisions between people groups in order to impede the spread of sin. Uh, Further, he's placed them in charge of his heavenly agents now I just got to be honest with you. I'm not sure what that means. This theologian put it in his list, and I didn't feel right taking it out, even though I I don't quite understand what he means by it. But uh, he puts later the allocation of land to form nations. Uh, he he does divide these nations, and they he uh, says essentially what area of land they went off toward. So we get. Uh, most of the descendants of Japheth going off into northern Europe. We get a lot of Shem's descendants going uh, east towards the Asiatic cultures, and we get Ham's descendants going mostly south into Africa. Uh, but these land divisions interact quite a bit right in the Middle East. So that um, granted the uh, the Jewish people come from a Semite. Uh, from Shem, uh, pretty pure line there, but every other culture and every other nation in the Middle East is pretty mixed between the three um, different bloodlines that came from Noah, Uh, but they all have distinct lands that they went to at that point, and land conflict has been one of the largest conflicts throughout history, Um, all sorts of nations battling for land, But this division of land was still something that God put uh, into his way of dealing with man to curb sin. Uh, Further, the delegation of authority to nations to protect human life because God made man in his image. That's capital capital punishment that God has instituted in human governments in order to punish uh, murderers. And that was to curb the progress of sin that happened prior to the flood. And then regulation of the climate such that the races could produce food to support life. um, And then the way, Covenant God promised that he would not make any cosmological changes that would would affect the seasons or the, um, essentially, uh, he puts to death the argument of radical climate change. There might be cycles, but God has promised that he will not destroy the earth by letting its climate fly out of control. So we have the promise of God that while the earth remains, um, we won't be destroyed through climate change.